You are listening to the Flash F1 podcast with Gil and Mark. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to another Flash F1 preseason podcast. I'm Gil, along with my co-host, Man Candy Mark. Ladies, he's taken. So if you need hugs and kisses, well, you're in the wrong place. We're going to drop some news and facts as we get closer to this Formula One season. Mark? Did you see the movie Hustlers with Jennifer Lopez? I did not. I it's wish. It's so, 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 like, as an actual movie, it's really, really, really good. The personalities, the characters, the music, um, I thought it was really, really good. So I would highly, highly encourage you to uh, to watch that. But before we get to too derailed and start talking about things that are totally unrelated, maybe we take a quick break and come back and get into what's really just going to turn out to be the next probably 45 minutes of news, gossip up and some really cool mailbag questions that we got from our listeners so hold on tight we'll be right back All right, we're back. Be uh, before we get into it, you know we've uh, we've already dropped three podcasts this year, three episodes deep into season two. And to be fair, we've got some really great momentum, and we've seen some really really great downloads and some really great feedback for the stuff that we're doing. Uh, but before we get into Formula One, anything new, anything exciting with with you, Mister Gamboa? No, uh, not too much. Just you know, getting back in the saddle and just you know doing the podcast with you. Um, our 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 primary work and uh, just trying to find some nice weather here in, in uh, Vancouver, BC. Yeah, we, we've had a, a terrible, <laughs> terrible winter, not in terms of cold temperatures and snow, because that's not really how uh, how we roll out here, but it's just been so dark and so wet. Uh, can't wait for a preseason testing or winter testing because that kind of is a signal that springs on the way. Um, one thing I forgot to mention in the last couple of podcasts, and and again, shame on me. So drop some coins, but Drake dropped a couple of fire tracks over the holiday season. He dropped a track immediately before Christmas called War. And I wanted to bring this one up. Do you know, and our listeners in Toronto will probably know who this is, but do you know who Chair Girl is? I do not. Okay, so Chair Girl rose to infamy last year because she was shown on social media throwing... Oh, yes, yeah, yes, you know, yes. You know she was out girl? from the East and there was a video of her. Um, she posted on social media where she took a chair from the uh, building or the Ikea apartment. Ikea chairs from and, an Airbnb unit. And yep. threw it like several dozen stories 45 off. 45 stories yeah. up. She was throwing these deck chairs off of the balcony of an Airbnb, 45 stories up. And they were landing on the sidewalk, like a busy sidewalk. Where but anyone could have totally. gotten hit and hurt totally so she's dumb enough to post this and i don't know if it was her or her friends but ultimately the police were looking for her she had to turn herself in super super dumb she's facing potentially six months in prison justifiably so but Um, after all that i hear that drake put a snippet or something of that in his video so so she had about it and so and again i was hardcore creeping her instagram last night she is super she's one of those super super thirsty instagram models slash influencers she had about a thousand followers before but now she's actually verified and she has like fifty thousand followers all because of this whole um noise, scandal this whole and, scandal yeah. yeah so and so 
Drake drops his track right before Christmas War. Drops it on SoundCloud. Boo, put it on Apple Music. I want to be able to listen to it. Um, but has a great video. And the video is basically of him and his boys up at Blue Mountain, which is a ski resort in Ontario, doing their thing. And then the end of the video is all of them just partying in a chalet with a dark blue light. But anyways, apparently there was a... And I never actually saw it, even though I watched the video 150,000 times. <laughs> but she actually somehow found her way into the video. It became public. So Drake, he had to release a statement saying, hey, I had no part of this. I had no idea. So they actually, despite the fact that the video had like 10 million views, they had to take it down and repost it. So this video's 10 million views technically behind where it was because she managed to snake her way into this video. Crazy. Yeah. And then the other one, uh, and I highly recommend everyone sees this, is Life is Good, which is a collaboration with Future. And the video itself is immense because it basically shows them walking through life in different jobs. It shows the two of them working at an Apple store type of thing, working in a fast food restaurant doing garbage pickup, um, working as a crew on a music video. Anyways, really, really good. But we should probably get to talking about actual Formula One instead of just pop culture. But I think we kind of promised that we're a pop culture related show. Yeah. So we're going to do something a little bit different. Typically, when we do our mailbag questions, we basically get these questions. We get them via DM on Instagram. We get them via DM on Twitter, email, all that kind of stuff. Sometimes people post the notes on Gamboa's door, which is a little bit alarming. <laughs> but today we're going to do it a little bit differently. So we've actually been having our listeners send us voice note questions so we can make the show a little bit more interactive. So we're going to cut now to our first question. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Christy. Uh, I'm curious to know, what are your thoughts on Lawrence Stroll's investment in Aston Martin? And how do you think that will impact the team this year? Okay, so for those of you that don't know, and you probably don't, but Christy is one of our OG flashers. She's been rolling with Flash F1 from day one. Uh, she's loyal to the podcast. Uh, maybe because I've got some thoughts on this and about five pages of notes, but maybe your your initial <laughs> thoughts on Racing Point, Lawrence Stroll, Stroll partnering up, uh, leaning into Aston Martin. Okay, well, Lawrence Stroll, he, as some of you may or may not know, he's purchased about 16.7% of the company. And I'm really glad... Damn, boy, you've done your homework. <laughs> you betcha, son. You betcha, son. Came to impress. Um, about time <laughs> wow wow um so with his purchase and making the change to aston martin gives that team an identity where racing point was just kind of like a filler from the transition from um force india, force india to, to racing point and what is racing point uh, the point they made last year was they couldn't race that was pretty much it my my take on it <laughs> but aston martin they're a they're a a known name. They're a classic team from uh, back in the early Formula One days. So to have uh, Aston Martin come back uh, to Formula One, I think it's really great. I like it. Uh, I'm hoping that Racing Point changes the colors back to the the green yellow for yep. whatever the classic yeah, yeah, yeah. Aston Martin Forest yep. Green is. British, British racing British, green. Really, yeah. British racing green. Yeah. So for me, I'm really happy that uh, Aston Martin's coming back as a name as a team. We'll see if what the rate the current racing point or Lawrence Stroll uh, uh, team does with the name and with yeah. the changes. The changes that they did for Racing Point really were um, not that impressive. So hopefully, with this re-energizing uh, re or this re uh, reintroduction of Aston Martin, that the team. Uh, takes it seriously and uh, wants to represent really well for Formula One. Yeah, and I think what it means this year is, and to be fair, Christy's question, because I think the long term, there's some huge implications both for racing points. And, and you and I have talked for a long time about the fact that we could never wrap our heads around the fact that Lawrence Stroll would make an investment worth potentially 
billions of dollars when you factor in the investments that he's made in the factory and expanding the team. It never made sense that the team name was freaking Racing Point. It was just a horrendously stupid name. Yeah. So I think it makes sense from the long term. It will have no impact this year whatsoever. Of course. Um, last year for Lawrence Stroll and the Racing Point team was very much a transition year. Um, going forward, I think it's going to be pretty significant. And just so our listeners know as well, Aston Martin or Aston Martin currently has a key partnership agreement with the Red Bull team. So they bear the Aston Martin insignia on their rear wing. That will continue for this year. And then that agreement will be terminated. At the end of 2020. At the end 2020, of 2020. So the expectation <laughs> is that going into 2021, Racing Point will be renamed Aston, Aston Martin, Martin Racing. Yep. Uh, Aston Martin Works Team. It will be a works team. Yes. So in, in a, they won't be called Aston yes. Martin Works Team, but they will be, in essence, a works team. Now, there's a great, great, great article. And there's, it's funny. So there's a... And kudos to this team, but there's a, a new website called The Race, or We Are The Race, um, which provides a lot of really, really solid commentary and op-eds on the state of Formula One and some of the other major racing series. But they did a couple of really great pieces on the transition or the kind of the collaboration or the tie-up between Aston Martin and Racing Point. And they made a great point that in name, this will definitely be an Aston Martin works team how much of what Aston Martin does will actually trickle into the cars themselves is probably going to be very, very little. And I think it's going to be pretty clear that we're not going to see an Aston Martin built motor. Like developing and building a power unit costs hundreds of millions of pounds or potentially billions of pounds. And that's not something that Aston Martin has to spend. And it's not something that Racing, Racing Point has to spend. The reality is I would expect that they're going to continue to use Mercedes motors. But for all intents and purposes, this will be a, a works team as close as you can imagine. And it's also a really good news story for Aston Martin. So it for those of you that don't know, Aston Martin's a British marquee. It's a company that's been around since the early 1900s. It's closely associated with British pop culture. You've seen the cars appear in James Bond films. They had this massive, massive, massive resurgence um, starting in the 2003 Frankfurt Auto Show when they introduced the brand new DB9. And the car in their lineup had really been stagnating prior to that, largely because the company had a lack of capital to invest in production facilities and new cars, motors, drivetrains, etc. But in 2004, they debuted the absolutely stunning DB9. And this was a car made with space age materials, and it was a car made in a brand new factory, and it absolutely redefined what a Grand Tour or a sports car should no, it's be. It's a sexy car. Yeah, Very sexy 100%. Car. And everything that's come after that, the DB11 and the V8 Vantage and the V12 Vantage and the Vanquish like everything they build is absolutely spectacular but they've basically ended up in a position right now where they're a company that produces super super high-end sports cars and they're globally there isn't a huge market for these the company generates about 1.1 billion pounds a year in revenue they generate generate around 150 million pounds in operating income a lot of that's going to service debt and one of the things that the company isn't doing today is unlike Rolls-Royce and Lamborghini and all these other major manufacturers, they don't build an SUV. And SUVs are hugely profitable. So Aston Martin is close to launching a new manufacturing facility in Wales that will produce their new SUV, um, as well as future Lagana production. But they desperately needed this tie-up with Lawrence Stroll because they needed that cash injection so that they could continue to develop their cars and so that they could finally launch this SUV, which they need to generate some cash flow. So it's a good thing for Aston Martin and potentially it's going to be a, a really, really, really cool thing for Racing Point. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. Just to get Aston Martin's name back out there, 
in you know out in the stands for for all the um the, the racing fans to see and, and recognize and uh, get familiar again with uh, Aston Martin. You know, and, and a credit to writer Mark Hughes on therace.com. So here's a couple of notes from one of the articles he'd written. When completed, the new factory in Silverstone. So Racing Point Force India, they've been based out of Silverstone for a while. Silverstone is, of course, the, the home of Silverstone Raceway, which is where the British Grand Prix is held. But when completed, the new factory at Silverstone, and I'm quoting, will take up around 10 times the acreage of the Force India original, which dates back to the Jordan days. Staff numbers have been doubled, so they've actually doubled the headcount that produces the cars and works on the team and marketing and all those kind of pieces, making Aston Martin slash Racing Point a genuine medium-sized team rather than the minnow it has traditionally been in many of its former guises. And he continues... And this is really interesting. Of all the brands in the paddock, Aston Martin is now among the most prestigious. In the marketing world, the value of a brand is measured by estimating the future revenue attributable to it and calculating a royalty rate that would be charged for the use of the brand if the company didn't already own it. In this measure, Aston Martin is hugely valued at roughly $3.6 billion in 2018, which puts it third behind only Mercedes and Ferrari of the brands involved in F1. Like, this is a monstrous tie-up. And they get to do this without having to invest a billion pounds or a billion euros into developing a new motor because presumably they're just going to continue on with the uh, Mercedes engine. And now furthermore, and Mark also states, and this is really smart too, but the evaluation or the value of the association with Aston Martin name makes it a much more attractive proposition not only to sponsors. So if I'm Racing Point and I'm working in the marketing and sales department, going and getting sponsors for this car is going to be really challenging. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to end up with companies like Sport Pesa and all these terrible yep. sponsors that they bear today. Yep. But if my car wears Aston Martin, well, now I can roll up to Rolex and I can yep, roll up to Omega and I can yep. roll up to Heineken and all these kind of more premium brands. But it's also really, really good for Formula One and Formula One can now sell that. Hey, look, in our paddock, we've got Alfa Romeo, which is probably less a works team than Aston Martin is, but we've got Alfa Romeo and Ferrari and Mercedes and Aston Martin. Yep. It's it's pretty, pretty, pretty exciting. So I'm excited to see this. Um, it's as close to a works team as we'll ever see from Aston Martin, but super exciting. Yep. Great question. Well, yeah, we'll be able to see what they do with it. You know, this is a 10-year deal that they've got going. So, yep. yeah. It'll be uh, pretty exciting to see. And I'm also excited for the future of Aston Martin because I think they're a staple of the British auto industry, which has really been ravaged over the last few decades. And really the only bright points have maybe been JLR, so the Jaguar Land Rover Group and, and Aston Martin. So it's good that Aston Martin's going to get this capital cash infusion. And Lawrence Stroll, for those of you that don't know, is the billionaire father of uh, Lance Stroll, Lance Stroll yep. who races for Racing Point. Uh, he basically rescued Force India out of administration. Part of that agreement was that the team was actually killed and it was a new team in essence so they lost all their constructors points midway through 2018 when that happened but again super super exciting and it's also kind of cool that there's a canadian now that's closely tied up with that aston martin team yeah. and the, the uh that company so a company that won't be getting involved with formula one and, and this is an interesting segue but bmw has made extremely extraordinarily crystal clear that they have zero interest in a return to formula one so this was a team that was most recently involved with Formula One back in 2006, they partnered or bought the Sauber team. Uh, they had a couple of reasonably strong years in 2007 and 2008. Ultimately, with the world economic crisis, mm -hmm. they backed out of the sport.
Sport in 2009 and sold the team back to Sauber, which of course has a current affiliation with Alfa Romeo and Ferrari. Yeah, and I think 2009 was also the new rules and regulation changes at that season. So yeah. Uh, yeah, they didn't want to sink in any money. I think BMW stands for big money waste anyway. So I don't know. I think they, <laughs> dude, I'm a fan. Like I've never owned a BMW, yeah. but I, I love the cars, but I can kind of see why, again, stepping into Formula One and starting over costs billions of dollars. Definitely. What's your return on that? Exactly. Like I, I do you honestly, cause I don't know, but I don't know that Mercedes sells any more cars because of their Formula One endeavor. The good news for them is they were able to enter the sport cheaply because they were already producing engines, so they didn't have to build a new engine from the ground up. They took over Braun, which they got for pennies on the dollar. But if you were to start an F1 team today, you're talking about billions of oh, dollars yeah, of starter sure. capital. For sure. And for, Mercedes is in a great position right now, and this is why I think their long term is secured. They're not. They're not a drain on Mercedes infrastructure costs like the mercedes f1 team makes money by itself mm -hmm. so they're in a good place bmw is not interested and i quote um speaking to auto build bmw racing boss uh jens marquard said the v6 turbo hybrid has nothing to do with what we do in road car production from an engineering perspective i say hats off to what they do in formula one but the techno technology has no relevance to the road they will however continue their formula e tie up with the andretti team which they've been working on since 2018 so a lot of manufacturers are kind of linking up with formula e because that's maybe a little bit more closely aligned with what they're doing with road cars but from bmw's perspective a v6 turbo hybrid has nothing to do with what they're doing in road cars so they're not interested well that makes sense you know if they've got a focus and they've got a goal for where they want to take their vehicles and their company um yeah, so be it. So, uh, you know, I don't think uh, Formula One is going to be um, worse off with or without them. So, yep. yeah. When I say the name Fernando Alonso, what comes to mind? I What comes to mind for me was his relationship, his uh, turmoil with uh, McLaren Honda yeah. a few seasons ago. Yeah. It's, it's funny that you say that because... When I think of Fernando Alonso, I think of the turmoil exactly like you. Mm -hmm. I think of the turmoil between him and McLaren and Honda. It was a really awkward tri-party relationship, marriage. I think of the really combative atmosphere between him and Lewis Hamilton at McLaren mm -hmm. for that one year. What I don't often think about is the fact that he's a two times world champion, yep. that he's won at Le Mans, and he's really just an Indy 500 away from winning the triple crown or being a triple crown winner, winner. you know yep. winning the three most prestigious events in motorsports what's probably not going to happen now is a win at indy 500 so for those of you that don't know he left formula one um in 2018 he'd previously been granted an opportunity while he was racing for mclaren to go and compete at indy 500 with a mclaren badged car um, he came close his first year uh, last year, most recently, driving a Chevy-powered McLaren car. He didn't even qualify for the event. This year, he was looking close to linking up with the Andretti, one of the Andretti racing teams, to compete at the Indy 500 because this is something that's really important to him. He wants to be able to win the Indy 500, and he believes he can do it. Um, he was going to link up with the Andretti Autosport team, but guess who supplies in, uh, Andretti with their power units, with their engines? Oh, um, Honda. We talked about <laughs> Sorry, this. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I drew a blank. <laughs> Honda, yeah. I thought you were looking out the window for a second there. <laughs> yeah, so he wants to go and win the Indy 500. Yeah. There's a team that wants to work with him, but their engine supplier is Honda. Yeah. So Honda's like, absolutely not. We're going to have nothing to do with this. Yeah, based and, on the previous relationship yeah. and what Alonso has done during the McLaren-Honda days. And that's most notably is at the Japanese Grand Prix in 2015, uh, Fernando Alonso had made a comment on 
open radio that was broadcast on TV. It was broadcast in the media. So again, the Japanese Grand Prix, which is Honda's home race, they're fresh into their return to Formula One. Fernando Alonso gets on the radio and he compares the engine in his car to a GP2 engine. So that was a huge, huge, huge slap in the face of yeah. Honda, and clearly they've never forgotten it. And it's basically robbed him of an opportunity to compete in the Indy 500 this year, which is justifiable, to be totally honest. Yeah, definitely. Why would you want to have a driver, uh, a part of your team who's bad-mouthing the, the products that are trying to help propel them into a championship? Totally. It doesn't make sense. If you're a part of the team, you're part of the team. You support it, yep. good or bad. I know he's had his hardships with the relationship with McLaren Honda, where you know he, he is a former world champ. He's He's used to driving with Ferrari and and the other the other cars that uh, and other teams that he's driven with in the past. Um, to say that you know he's he's less than less than happy with the Honda part aspect of it, and for him to say and backtrack and say that oh I want to come back into Formula One and be connected or associated with a. Um, a team possibly as Honda, not going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. He he robbed himself of this opportunity. This is his doing. Um, and to be honest, like I appreciate what he's capable of. I, I appreciate the performances that he did put in. And I get it that that was a really tough time. But the reality is he signed a contract with McLaren knowing what engine was going to be yep. in that car. Yep. Um, he knew what could conceivably happen. But just from a, a professionalism perspective, you don't publicly berate the manufacturer that is producing the engine in your car. Like that's not good for the relationship. It ultimately became toxic. We all know what happened. Um, McLaren and Honda eventually divorced. Honda went to Red Bull and guess what? They start winning races exactly. right, right away. Yeah. So according to ESPN and ESPN is reporting that Fernando Alonso was targeting a return to Formula One as early as next year. So 2021. And he is incredibly confident that he can win the championship immediately have given the race car. Alonso left the series at the end of 2018 after four seasons with McLaren, failed to yield results. Since then, he has won the Le Mans 24 hours twice, become a WEC champion, returned to Indy 500 and competed in the Dakar rally. But above all, and again, quoting ESPN here, but above all else, he wants to return to a competitive Formula One car next year following the reset of the Formula One rules. And I quote Fernando here, I'm not done with F1. 2021 is a good opportunity and I feel fresh and ready now. It's something I will explore. Formula One is unfinished business because people because people think that what we deserve more than we achieved, especially in the last few years. In my museum, where there are cabinets with a lot of trophies, but nothing recently, and that seems a bit weird. So my question to you is, <laughs> he's obviously floating this out here now, like, hey, I want to come back to F1. What team, based on, based on the, the, the toxic nature of his relationships with his past few teams, like what team is going to bring bring Fernando Alonso back? Well, no team. Just listen to what you just read. Like his attitude, it seems like he wants to cherry pick a team. He wants to cherry pick a performing car, a competitive car. There are a lot of drivers outside of Alonso that would kill to have the opportunity to drive in even a latter half team in Formula One. So for a Formula One or a team in Formula One to take in Alonso, he's, there would probably be some contract or some clauses about either his pay or what he has to say or do you know, to um, to race back in Formula One. But with that type of attitude and the, and the relationship or the... the um, the past that he's had with uh, either teams or uh, what he's said and done in Formula One, I don't think we need that in the sport. We need like some positive, some younger drivers, some some teams that are going to really uh, drive the sport, some drivers that are really going to be uh, a um, 
an influencer or a um, a role model into the sport for younger drivers to be like, hey, I'm positive. This is what I'm doing for the sport. And bring and bring those drivers in, not uh, Fernando Alonso, who's going to be negative and just wants to be a champion just for the sake of his cabinet not being full of trophies recently. So, yeah, I I don't think any team is going to want to take uh, Alonso back, and if they do, there's going to be some heavy clauses in his contract. You know, and if you look at the teams, so Ferrari, are they going to bring him back? No, no way. Mercedes, no way. Red Bull, Alpha. No. Toro Rosso, no, no. way, because they're driving <laughs> yeah. Honda engines. It's the exact same situation. Yeah. Um, and it, and who's who's left? Haas, no, no. It, no. Actually, maybe a Haas, because again, we talk about how badly they need kind of a prominent pinnacle driver, but that would be purely a desperation move on the part of Gene Haas. Um, maybe, maybe he reconnects with Renault. The I team was thinking, the, I was thinking Renault. So yeah, it's funny. Like you've got. So now that you talk about it all of the prominent teams will have nothing to do with them because they know he's a disruption and a culture killer. Mm-hmm. But maybe if you're Haas and maybe if you're Renault and you're desperate, maybe you just take a flyer on the guy. And to your point, maybe you just have a really draconian contract that says, hey, basically from the start of the season to the end of the season, you keep your mouth shut and we don't have a radio in your car because we yeah. don't want to hear your thoughts. Like, yeah. Well, you know, he's got that relationship with Renault back when he was driving the orange Renaults. Mm-hmm. Um, Haas can't do any worse. So, you know, putting a... You know, a, a championship driver in uh, in the seat of one of those cars may may help the team out. Obviously, we'll start to see all the manufacturers, all of the the, the companies that compete in Formula One. They're going to start to reveal their cars in February prior to winter testing. Um, that takes place in Barcelona in the latter stages of February. Haas has already offered a glimpse of its 2021 car, which is dubbed the VF20. So for those of you that don't remember, uh, Haas joined the sport a couple of years ago. They're the newest entry. They basically started, for all intents and purposes, as an expansion team. They weren't able to claim prize money the first couple of years because the sport wanted to make sure that they became competitive and didn't start cashing in too soon. They haven't experienced a ton of success, although they were competitive in their first couple of races in their first season. They drive what's predominantly Predominantly a Ferrari car. They buy every part allowed under the regulations of Formula One from Ferrari. So drive train as much aero, as much suspension as they possibly can. Last year, they showed up with a completely black car with gold lettering and a gold rich energy logo. The season for them was a disaster on the track. They took a significant step backwards, and it was also a disaster from the marketing perspective because the energy company that they had partnered with to brand the car and brand the racing team, for all intents and purposes, doesn't really exist. And it was led by a crazy, crazy, crazy individual that created some significant marketing negative headwinds throughout the season. Ultimately, they and Rich Energy, their relationship fractured and broke, and the two went their separate ways part through the way of the season, but not before there was significant embarrassment thrust upon the Haas team. So this year, Haas is going to be going back to their conventional white, black, red, and gray car, um, obviously with the U.S. flags and blazed upon it as they're the only American-based F1 team. So kind of interesting there and hopefully they become a little bit more competitive but again with that driver lineup I don't know that that's necessarily going to be possible yeah of course a couple of other and this is a little bit more serious but right now we're in the throes of the global coronavirus outbreak Um, obviously there's significant concerns about hosting events in China at this time the Chinese Grand Prix is coming up so the Formula One schedule starts in the middle of March with the Australian Grand Prix it's followed up with the Vietnam Grand Prix which is 
the initial inaugural event, which we're both super pumped about. Yep. I can't wait to see what that track looks like. But on April 9th, we were expecting to see the Chinese Grand Prix in the track outside of Shanghai. It's very, very, very possible that that race doesn't happen at all. And I, I'm quoting here from ESPN, but Formula One's motorsport director, Ross Brown, said he's expecting a decision within the next two weeks. So before the end of February, we should know if the Chinese Grand Prix is going to happen. Uh, and I quote, we're waiting for the Chinese promoter and authorities to make the final decision, which I think they will, Braun was quoted by motorsport.com. They have canceled all of the public events in March, so no public sporting events or activities. And I quote, so it is tragic and very difficult situation. I think it'll become clear in the next weeks or two what's going to happen. He added, if there's a probability it doesn't happen in April, it will be postponed. So not necessarily canceled. We'll leave open the opportunity to see if the race can run later in the year. China is an enthusiastic growing market, so we'd like to have a race in China. Of course, they would like to have a race in China. Yeah. Apparently, and, and it's rumored that Formula One has gone to the teams and floated the idea of rescheduling it later in the season, and the teams and drivers have adamantly refused simply because the schedule in the back half of the season is already so compressed. Yeah. And one of the proposals was that we would see back-to-back-to-back races to finish the season. So we would jump from Brazil one weekend to China the next, back to Abu Dhabi the next. So that was one of the current proposals. And if I'm a team or if I'm a driver, I want nothing to do with that. I don't think China is going to happen for this season. I've been reading that the actual uh, Corona vaccinations or the the medicines for Corona won't be out and viable for like within the year. Yeah. So there's no way that it's going to come out early enough for them to be able to host a, a Formula One. And, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, cases of every other day has been coming up with regards to Corona. I've also canceled my Asia trip. I was supposed to go to Asia. Oh, yeah, that's true. In a couple of months to uh, see a Blackpink concert. Yeah, that was going to be your lifelong yeah. dream event. But I'm going to wait until they come out of Asia and do a concert uh, somewhere in anywhere else but Asia. Have they ever so. done a concert in North America? Yeah, last year they did a world tour, uh, North America and European and Asia tour. Where did they uh, Where did they appear in North America? Uh, they did it in New York, I believe. Gotcha. Yeah, they were in New York. Gotcha. So just the one stop. Yeah. So, oh, no, they did Coachella. They did Coachella uh, just before that. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I agree. I don't think it's going to happen. I think from a Formula One perspective, they want, they're responsible to their shareholders. And obviously they want to be able to cash in on that hosting fee, which presumably wouldn't happen. Although contractually, maybe China still has to pay, but obviously they want the event to go ahead. If it doesn't happen, what will happen, and this is really interesting, is there's going to be a four week break between Vietnam and Zandvoort because originally it was supposed to be Australia, Vietnam, China, Zandvoort, but there will now be a four-week break. So you'll not only have the summer break, but you'll effectively have a spring break, two that's races too, into the season. That's too much. Yeah, too it's, much. It's going to be interesting, but I just I don't know how they can take the chance, and I don't know how you how you convince the teams and the drivers to go into that situation knowing that, hey, there is no immediately readily available vaccine, the situation's not getting better, but also the fact that you're gonna say, hey, we're gonna postpone the race and we're gonna hold it later in the season and we're now gonna ask you to do back to back to back Yeah, weekends. the latter no half way. of the season is gonna be too chaotic, I think. If you know if they've got the the funding and the, and the means to do it, but I believe it's going to be really chaotic for for the latter half of the season if they start doing um, races back to back to it's, back to back. It's too much strain. And yeah. if I'm the drivers, if I'm the teams, I want nothing to do with that. Yeah. This is already a 22 race season, yeah. so it's already a hugely compressed schedule. Yeah. I, it's just it's not 
and I don't like to use the, te- the term fair because everyone's compensated well and it's a lifestyle that I think a lot of us would do anything to experience. But I know it's a grind on the teams, on the mechanics, on the drivers and the families. So Yeah, and from as a, as a, race, uh, as a race spectator or a fan, when I'm watching the race, um, are we going to be able to see the, the full potential of the teams and the drivers if they're if they're spent or if they're exhausted oh, yeah. from doing it back to back, like are they going to be at their top notch per- peak performance, uh, giving us the race that we want to see? If you know they're going through like a hectic, chaotic, and and busy entire time. Yeah, and, and so and I never thought about that, but you imagine this: imagine going from Brazil and you fly all the way across the world to China to race the next weekend. So you've you've put in your three or four days in Brazil, you fly across the world, you put three or four days in in China, and then you fly to the heat of the Middle East. Like the likelihood that the driver makes a mistake has to be much, much higher. Like these guys are doing something that's very, very dangerous and you're putting them in a really risky position. So hopefully it doesn't happen. If they if if they don't race in April, which I think is doubtful, I just think they scrap it and you move on and hopefully that you can kind of recover and reboot the race next year. The other piece of kind of more serious news is um, the FIA, Motor Racing's governing body, has concluded that no single factor caused and no driver was to blame for the fatal crash which claimed the life of Antoine Hubert in a Formula 2 race earlier last year. Hubert was killed at Belgium's Spa Frankenchamp uh, circuit on August 31st, and this is again a statement from ESPN. After losing control of his car and being hit side-on at 220 kilometers an hour by American driver Juan Manuel Correa, the report said Hubert's car had been virtually stationary at the moment of impact, resulting in a peaked impact force of 82 Gs. So we we talk about the fact that the sport is is glamorous, but we also acknowledge the fact that the sport is incredibly dangerous and less dangerous than possibly at any point in history. We talk about the fact that the tracks have been rebuilt and redesigned with huge runoff areas. We talk about all the things they've done from a driver safety perspective, which is um, basically harnessing wheels to the body so they can't bounce into the crowd. We talk about the halo and all those other kind of things. There's still a risk of severe danger, and this is one of the more heartbreaking moments that we've seen in the last couple of decades. The FIA, um, amongst their findings, and again, this is from ESPN, noted, a chain of events results in a protracted and complex crash sequence involving four drivers. The dynamics of the car-to-car impact in terms of speed and trajectory were such that an extremely high level of energy was transferred. There was no specific single cause, but multiple factors giving rise to the severity of the accident. The investigation found no evidence that any driver failed to react appropriately in response to the yellow flag signal or to the circumstances on track. And finally, the reaction of marshals and race control in deploying signaling and rescue services in relation to the accident is considered timely and good so as as horrible as this was for the fans of hubert for his family for the racing family as a whole i i think this probably brings some some closure and some peace of mind that hey there was no single factor that caused this it was it was an unfortunate series of events nobody was at fault nobody made a specific error it wasn't signaling it wasn't a driver error it was just the reality of the complex physics of racing at a high speed yeah any thoughts? No, that's, uh, you know, when you get into these um, high-speed high racing sports, open-wheeled sports, Formula 1, Formula 2, um, the, the danger, the, the risk, the factors, it's all part of the sport, and, and uh, you, um, you take it good or bad. Yeah, absolutely. And 
And again, for and we know a lot of our listeners based on polling and conversations that are, are a little bit newer to the sport. The degree of safety in Formula One now is at an all-time high. It's oh, not yeah. perfect, yeah. but the reality is when you look at the way that the tracks are built, huge runoff areas with sand traps and gravel traps, these are good things. Yeah. What you don't necessarily want, what you don't necessarily want is tight runoff areas, concrete walls, barriers, things that cars yeah. can impact. So when you look at the construction of new tracks, they're very safe. Yeah. There's huge runoff areas. The cars can spin, the cars can slide, but there's nothing for them to collide yeah. with. And then you look at the cars, you look at Absolutely. now like the biggest thing that stands out is the halo you know the halo was introduced a couple of two three seasons ago and you know that's uh ever since uh, massa with his accident with the the spring that hit him in the head yeah they're looking at anything that'll protect the driver in and around uh, the exposed area just the um the construction of the helmet uh, design itself helmet design yeah they've, yep. they've uh, narrowed the uh, the um the viewing the opening of the yep. front of the, the helmet the visor yeah the visor and uh, just the construction of some of the race cars yep. just either a crash impact side impact front impact uh for the seasons coming up or the future of uh the safety of the cars they were looking at putting a membrane or a skin over top of uh the formula one cars to reduce the amount of flying debris or, yep. or uh, when the car hits another car or some sort of impact yeah and even little things like and if you look at if you look at footage from the 2000s or the 90s or the 80s or the 70s one of the things that you would often see when there was an impact or a crash in formula one is the tires go bouncing in every direction oh. and they become they become a, a dangerous object themselves either to spectators because they could easily breach the fencing and get into the crowd or to another driver like those were lethal weapons themselves so little things like the fact that the tires the wheels are now tethered, tethered to the suspension yep. so no matter how bad the collision is that that wheel is going to stay tight to the car and you saw that in 2015 when alonzo had his really really bad uh crash in in australia but there's been a lot of things done to improve safety um, and it's a good thing but at the end of the day it's still an incredibly dangerous sport when mm -hmm. cars are traveling at excess speed, 300, 300 kilometers, kilometers an, an hour. hour yeah yeah so it's not i don't think anyone accepts this i don't think the fia just accepts this as norm and i don't think formula one accepts this as norm and i think they'll continue to work towards solutions and remedies that make the sport as safe as possible but this was just clearly a, a reminder of how horribly dangerous the sport can be um on a brighter note, uh, we have another voice note here from another one of our OG listeners, and I'm going to tee this one up in real time if you give me one second here. But this comes from one of our OG listeners, Randy. So I'm going to play this one here, and then we can respond. Hi, Flash F1. I've got an opinion question for you. Who's the best F1 driver of the modern era, say 2000 till now, who will never win the driver's championship simply because of their proximity to one of the old-time greats? First guy that comes to mind is Bottas. He's never going to be the number one guy just because he's on a team with Hamilton. But put him on any other team and he was the top. Thanks. I'll let you take this one. Well, I, it's a pretty it's a pretty loaded, not a loaded question, but it's a pretty complex question to unpack. So really, I think what Randy's asking is, let's talk about drivers who possibly have the capability of winning in the right situation, but they didn't or they can't because they're on a team with a superior driver. Yeah, and I think I've said this before on uh, previous podcasts of ours that I do believe that Hamilton is, you know, to, in this current era of, of Formula One, the best driver that Formula One has right now. He's the Tiger Woods of Formula One. His records show it. Him being partnered up with Bottas, great relationship, but Bottas is always going to be in Hamilton's shadow. He's 
he's driving with a, a, a teammate that is just on another level. I think Bottas has a lot more work to be to be at a Hamilton level. So I totally agree with Randy that uh, Bottas needs to either go on a different team for him to shine, but then that team's going to also have to provide him with a championship winning car. So uh, Hamilton, great number one driver right now. Bottas, I think he's got a lot of work to do, and I've mentioned that before, that uh, he's he needs to uh, either go off to a different team and shine on his own because he'll never he'll never uh, get that opportunity uh, being partnered up with Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, I I don't disagree. But I mean, let, let's well, look. Who, at- else, who else you would you be thinking of? Like like Raikkonen. Raikkonen's already at Alfa Romeo. He's broken away from Ferrari. He didn't really do much with uh, with Alfa uh, with um sorry with Alfa Romeo last year. So. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Like, I don't think Bottas is ever going to win a world title as long as he's on a team with Hamilton. I think if he was to surge out to a incomprehensible lead at the beginning of a season, I think the dynamics of the team would change and the team would probably rally around him. Um, I just don't think he has the capability of doing that. And we talked a little bit last time about Valtteri Bottas 2.0, which is he surged out and had a great start at the beginning of last season, and then he faded completely. And that was dis- and that was after a really disappointing 2018 season. Like he's now been with Mercedes for three seasons. He raced 17, 18, 19. He has seven wins, and he hasn't even sniffed at a world title. And at the same time, Lewis Hamilton, who's driving the exact same car with access to the exact same resources absolutely has dominated the sport yeah. in the same time. Like I don't I don't believe that Bottas is a world-class championship driver and I, and think about it this way. Let's pretend that Max took a a year off from the sport and you put Valtteri Bottas into a Red Bull car. I don't think he's going to compete for a world title. You put him into a Ferrari. I still don't have the confidence that he's going to compete for a world title, and I think a lot of it's psychological. It's it's interesting because I'm actually reading right now, and it's a really, really good book, but I'm reading a book called Total Competition, which is by Ross Braun and Adam Parr, who spent a lot of time with the Williams team. But there's a lot of conversation in the book about the Rubens Barrichello relationship with Michael Schumacher and Rubens was a very capable driver but he was often frustrated by a team that clearly rallied around Michael Schumacher of course but Ross Braun who was leading that team as the team principal he indicates in the book that we would go to Rubens in the offseason we'd say look if you get off to a phenomenal start we will do everything that we can to support your drive for a driver's championship but guess what? He never did that. Yep. He never gave them reason to rally around him rather than Michael Schumacher. So I can't really think of many other examples. Um, but Barrichello is a great mirror of, of Bottas. That is a, a totally like similar relationship that he had with Ferrari, with, um, um, I'm sorry, with, uh, with, um, racing with uh partnered with Schumacher yeah I just I think Rubens was probably a little bit more vocal about the position like Bottas isn't going to complain like even even if he feels like unfairly treated in that dynamic I mean at the end of the day he's never going to talk about it in the media but then again he has no right to talk about it in the media because he's only got seven race wins spread across three seasons with the best car in the sport Barrichello Again, he was more vocal, but at the end of the day, Ferrari was very clear, according to this book. Ross Braun said, hey, look, if you give us a reason to rally around you instead of Michael, we'll do it. But until which time, we'll continue to support Michael, and there'll be team orders that favor Michael as our chief primary option for a driver's title. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I can't really think of any other examples, and I spent some time, like... 
you know, you look back to those Renault years in the early 2010s when when uh, Sebastian Vettel ran off four straight titles. I don't think Mark Webber was really ever kind of in the consideration for a a serious competitor. Um, and those were the years that, and I, it's funny because I only noticed this the other day, but I completely forgot that for three or four years, Fernando Alonso finished second in the Drivers' Championship, driving for Ferrari to Sebastian Vettel. So, you know, we talk about he's only got two Drivers' titles. He came close three times um, while Sebastian Vettel was racking up those four straight, but I can't really think of any other examples. Yeah, I feel bad for Weber, though. Weber was a good driver. He just never had that that opportunity to... You know, to to shine like. But he had a great car. He, he had did. the same car that Sebastian that Sebastian Vettel had. Yep. So what do you mean by didn't? Because I'm going to pick on you here. Okay. What do you think? What did you mean by not having that opportunity? Well, he was always just kind of like the Daniel Ricardo. He was always like given. He's he's been given the opportunity, but he's he he was always behind Vettel for some reason because Vettel's always had that that. Uh, Max Verstappen type of attitude, that aggressive attitude. I don't think Weber was all that aggressive. He was too nice of a guy. But the opportunity for 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 Weber to be a, a competitive driver against Vettel was there. He just didn't have the aggressive attitude. Yeah, maybe. Um, and for those of you that for those of you that don't know, uh, Mark Weber was an Australian driver at Red Bull, who was ultimately replaced by another Australian driver and Daniel Ricciardo and. I think for all the failings of Mark Webber in terms of personality and humility and competitiveness, uh, Daniel Ricciardo has all of those oh, things. Oh yeah, definitely. Tremendous personality, um, degree of humility, and he's a winning race driver. And we'll kind of loop back to Daniel Ricciardo now because we have a question here from Johnny, Johnny from the Bronx, and he, he's got a couple of questions here. The first one is, in 2021, where do you see Sebastian Vettel driving? Where do you see Daniel Ricciardo driving? And where do you see Lewis Hamilton driving? So we talked about this a little bit with Tim Haraney and with Mark Daly when we did our Megapod a couple of weeks ago, but we're inching closer and closer to 2021 and those questions are gonna become louder and louder and louder. But at this stage, where would you see those three drivers? Cause I've got some thoughts and I wanna see if they mirror yours. Okay, so let's start with Lewis Hamilton. I know that there's been uh, news about you know Ferrari, you know, yeah. uh, you know, wanting to to talk to to Hamilton or yeah. vice versa. I think Hamilton's relationship with Mercedes is so strong. Uh, he's he's you know built a legacy for them. I, I don't think he's going to go to any other team. Any other team's going to have to offer big bucks, but I think with Hamilton's mentality that he wants to stay a champion, he wants to stay a winner, he doesn't want to start from scratch again. He's got that that championship level winning yeah. drive. He's a, a really talented driver, but he's if, there, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like Mercedes is giving him a, a good car. If another team takes him, are they going to provide the same team environment, the same car yeah. that... So just Hamilton's going to stay where he's at. Vettel, I... That's the question. I don't know if Ferrari yeah, is going to keep one, is yeah. going to keep him and support Leclerc, and what team is going to take Vettel based on his current situation, his current contracts, his his uh, you know is is he past his prime now? Yeah. Uh, you know, and then who's the who's the last driver that we were talking about? Daniel Ricciardo. Daniel so Ricciardo. he'll be he'll be finishing his two year agreement. So he left, and again, 
please listen to the Daniel Ricardo interview with Beyond the Grid. Oh yes, it's yeah, it so awesome. so so good. Yeah. But uh, he he left Red Bull. Uh, he signed a two year agreement with Renault. Last year wasn't a great year for the team. Uh, this will be his last year with Renault. And we have a question about Renault coming up. But there's a very strong possibility that maybe he explores a move. And maybe if Sebastian Vettel isn't with the prancing horse, maybe that's an option. What would you think about Daniel Ricciardo partnering with uh, Charles Leclerc and racing for Ferrari? Yeah, Daniel Ricciardo, he's one of those guys, you know, great, great attitude in the sport. Uh, he's had his uh, frustrations with the, the current team he's, he's with now. But uh, I think for Daniel Ricciardo, doors are for other teams are wide open from they recognize his talent um he's not like a, a premium guy and he's not a lower end guy he's a guy that can still elevate in the sport so it doesn't matter what team he goes to if he goes to ferrari i think he'll do well there now he's given a car that where he can possibly really shine yeah and you know do do wonders for his career and for the team so he he's He's a good driver. He just needs, I guess, the the opportunity in the car, the team to give it to him. It'd be one hell of a driver lineup having Charles Leclerc and a reinvigorated Daniel Ricciardo oh, for racing sure. for that would be racing exciting. for Ferrari. Like if you want to win a constructors title, that's potentially how you do it. You have those two drivers racing together. Daniel Ricciardo has an unbelievable personality. He's hugely marketable. He would broaden the appeal of Ferrari even further. Um, I, I think that would be a, a great mashup. What happens to Sebastian Vettel? I don't know. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I, like, and I, I agree with you. Lewis Hamilton, he's going to resign with with uh, with Mercedes. I think that big deal that Max Verstappen signed with Red Bull kind of reshapes what his agreement's going to look like with Mercedes. Like, let, let's be very clear. He's going to be the highest paid driver in the world. There's no question about that. I think it really just comes down to what type of security... Mercedes gives him and it's probably going to be a three or four year deal or maybe it's a two-year deal with driver options for the past for the next two years so hey he can continue to opt into that a contract as long as they're competing um, on the track but I think he's going to get whatever he wants and I think Mercedes recognizes that they would be foolish for letting him go because he's been such an instrumental part of their success and I think as long as Mercedes Formula One is making money you continue to employ Lewis Hamilton to make more money oh of course yeah uh, the other question from Johnny from the Bronx does Renault stay in F1 after this season so when and Renault has an a complicated history with the sport They've on three separate teams or four separate, three separate times had a factory team dating back to 1977. They've been a engine supplier. They were a big part of Renault. And it's funny too, because you look back at 2005, 2006, they had a factory team that won two titles with Alonso. They went through Crashgate. They basically left the sport with the tail between, or their tail between their legs. They helped propel Renault to four straight drivers and constructors titles by being their engine supplier. They re-entered the sport in 2016. And part of that agreement with Bernie Eccleston was, hey, you can come back. We'll provide you the opportunity to be a part of the sport again, but you need to be an engine supplier. They're only providing an engine for McLaren and only until the end of this year. They haven't experienced any degree of success since coming back into the sport. Maybe if they wanted a clean exit from the sport, they're really only obligated to be in the sport until the end of this year, maybe that's a perfect time for them to step out. I I can't predict what their future is, but I think there's a possibility that maybe they cash out, cash out their chips and walk away like, hey, we're no longer obligated to provide engines. We are no longer obligated to run our own factory team. We're not competitive. We're not winning races. We're not making money. Now's a good time to refocus our resources on our actual manufacturing of road production cars. 
I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, for Renault, they they haven't really done anything in the last few seasons that have really caught my eye. I don't even really pay any attention to Renault. Anyways, neither like, do I. Uh, yeah, uh, 2016 when they did re-enter the sport and Grosjean was driving for them, they had uh, you know a few a few highlights here and there, but um, nothing nothing recently. So you know whether they come or go, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah, and I, like I think the sport needs Renault because they need actual manufacturers. But if if I'm Renault, I don't know if I'm. If I'm part of the executives or the C-suite at Renault, Nissan, that gigantic mega corporation, I, I don't know why I would continue to fund this operation. If we're not competitive and we don't anticipate being competitive, why would we stay in? And we're at this tipping point in the sport right now where all of these teams need to start making significant investments in the 2021 era. I don't know if they necessarily want to do that. So I think what will be really telling is how much money are they pouring into 2021, if any. Because if they're not significantly investing in their 2021 car, maybe that's a sign that they're not going to be a part of the sport. But again, their their footprint right now is pretty small because after after this season, they won't be producing engines for anybody but themselves if they do stay in the sport. And if they're not competitive, why why stick around? Well, well yeah. Well, let me ask you, if they were to go, well, who would replace them? Like, do we reduce the amount of teams again and it's a you good know. question like we, we only have 10 teams like for me like the sport should have 11 or 12 teams there should be 24 cars on the grid yeah but we would be down to nine teams and i just in 2020 i don't see i don't see a lot of manufacturers stepping up like we we talked about bmw early in this podcast like they're not going to join the sport we we know there was an opportunity for the volkswagen auto group to join for 2021 and they didn't like the engine formula and they didn't like the direction of the sport so they and porsche tapped out they didn't want to be a part of it like i don't know who's going to join so maybe it's one of those things where formula one needs renault more than renault needs formula one just because they need to have that stable grid because what i don't want to see is a whole bunch of minnows like i don't want to see a whole bunch of marushas (laughs) and teams like that that are having to crowdfund to be able to compete from weekend to weekend but i also want to see more teams come in because that if there's more and more teams leaving the sport and that just leaves the big three or big five competing and to me that's kind of boring you know if you look in the earlier seasons there were less races in the year but more teams you've got like you know 12 teams maybe 22 24 drivers now you're getting into more races. They're trying to pack more races into the season, but now with less teams or or, or drivers coming into coming into play. Yeah. Because now we have what was it twenty drivers, ten teams, twenty drivers. A couple seasons ago, we had what an extra an extra two drivers, or we had uh, Marisha Marisha yeah. in in, yeah. in the season. So and you're right. Like if you flash back to the pre global recession, we had a factory BMW team, we had a factory Honda team. We had a factory Toyota team. We had a factory Ferrari team. Like the number of manufacturers that were involved in the sport ran deep. And even though at that point, Mercedes wasn't producing, uh, they didn't have a factory team. They were still producing engines for McLaren who were hyper competitive. Like that was kind of the glory era of Formula One from a factory support perspective. But I think we're going to continue to see that dwindle because I think as BMW state, and I think we're really lucky that we have Mercedes in the sport right now and that they're invested in the sport. And for how long, I don't know, but I don't think it's good for the sport that factory teams and manufacturers don't want to be involved because they don't, they don't identify with formula one from a road car perspective, right? Like 
I don't think they want to invest if what Formula One is doing is fundamentally different than road cars. So we all know that the man, that the production auto car industry is shifting towards EVs. It's not hybrids. Manufacturers are shutting down hybrid production. They're all going EV, 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 yep. EV. That's the future. We know that. Formula One's stuck in this weird position where internally there's this debate about do we just go back to turbo or naturally aspirated engines or do we continue on this hybrid path but if they're on this hybrid path that's not what production cars have anyway like it's this weird dynamic and then when manufacturers are getting involved with autosport they're getting involved with formula e because it's super super cheap relative to formula one and it more closely resembles the production car business well and that's the thing i think a big for me a big factor looking at it is is price getting into a formula one team now as billion billions as opposed to like getting into formula one 10 20 years ago it's a totally totally different uh price game and you know teams now and the and the formula one the fia they're talking about budget caps they're talking about this and that because money is just flying all over the place and a lot of these teams can't can't compete because they don't have the funding or to get into the sport it's just too expensive so that that's a great point and i think one of the reasons we're going to see budget caps slowly implemented is because formula one needs to convince new teams or potential new teams that that this could be manageable because today the sky's the limit like mercedes ferrari spend what they want yep. they spend whatever they want so if i'm a startup like i'm a small startup and i'm not a factory team like i'm a small customer team like i'm not going to have those resources mm-hmm. what's the point like to to finish eighth or ninth collect 25 million dollars in constructors points and go home and continue to build mediocre cars like what's the point like you need to have that budget cap so you have a degree of a bigger degree of, I'm trying to think of the word here, kind of competitive balance. Yep. And there is no competitive balance today. And the 2021 rules are supposed to reset competitive balance. And hopefully we'll see other teams competitive. And that's what the teams like Racing Point are working towards is, I'm not going to invest a ton of money in my 2020 car because I want to be competitive in 2021 and beyond. Yeah. And plus, if you're a new unknown team, the sponsorship, like how are you going to get advertisement and sponsorship dollars? Like, yeah. you know, you have to be like a well-known or, or a, a brand name team or, or a yeah. brand name company in order to get the the big uh, the big name sponsorships. Totally. And we even saw that last year with Haas, which on the on the on the North American side of the Atlantic, they have a big footprint in industry and they have a big footprint in NASCAR. But they ultimately had to partner with Rich Energy, which is a joke of an energy drinks company, Mm -hmm. just to have a corporate primary principal sponsor on their car. Like a big company like that couldn't even find primary sponsors. And then we look at uh, Ferrari with... uh with their uh, their livery uh, with that was it Mission Winnow? Yeah, so <laughs> I you know my feelings <laughs> yeah. on these tobacco company yeah. partnerships with McLaren and with Ferrari. They piss me off. Good news is I, I saw some leaked images. I think probably on Reddit, but I saw some leaked images of some of the 2020 Ferrari merch, and it looks like the Mission Winnow stuff isn't on it, which hopefully will be the case. I just I don't know. All right, we got one more voice note from one of our listeners. Uh, I'm not familiar with this listener, but it's always exciting that we are continuing to pick up listeners as we go. So I'm just going to play this one right now and we'll respond. Hello, my name is Abbas. I like to know Formula One. What car go fast? Let me know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's uh, new to me. I'm not sure of Abbas. I'm not sure if he's Italian or from somewhere in the Middle East, but... His question is vague and difficult to decipher at the same time. But uh, I think he would like to know if Formula One cars go fast. 
Your your immediate take on this, your you, hot take. Yes, they do. That's why they're called Formula One cars. They're in the number one open-wheeled race sport. You've got Mercedes, who's totally dominated the current hybrid uh, era and is a really fast car. Yes. Um, Ferrari, known for being fast. Their their legacy, their their history is about fast cars. They've Ferrari is just when you think Ferrari or hear the name Ferrari, you 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 think fast. Their their cars for last season were fast um, in in the straightaway, yeah. and uh, yeah, they're yeah Formula One cars fast. I think you put too much energy responding to a really <laughs> terrible question. Yeah, but I appreciate your dedication to our our listeners, and I I don't think I don't think that gentleman is one of our OGs. But to that point, like this is this is the it's not prototype racing but this is the premier global racing series and the sport itself has to constantly create regulations to contain the potential speed of these cars because what we see them do and what the teams are capable of doing are two very different things but in the spirit of competitive balance and safety and costs they typically have to introduce regulations make that make potentially the cars much slower and i think what we're going to see in 2021 is ultimately cars that are slower than 2020 but Ultimately, these are the fastest cars on the planet. They create they create absolutely absurd amounts of grip and downforce. And even when we talked to Nicholas Latifi um, at the beginning of last year, we talked, "Hey, what's the difference between an F2 car and F1 car?" And for him, it wasn't even about the speed, but it was just about the sheer amount of mechanical grip that these cars yeah. produce in the corners. So, yeah. So, great way to end uh, our episode. Any final thoughts before we bounce out of here? No, I think I'm good. Just excited for uh, any more uh, news and gossip coming up in Formula One for the preseason uh, testing. And uh, yeah, that's all I've got. So first race of the season is March 15th in Australia. It's coming up soon. Oh yeah, my gosh. it's coming so fast. But even faster than that, we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, all the teams are going to start introduced to the official um, unveils of their cars. Again, for our listeners, I don't think teams aside from Mercedes and Ferrari are going to invest a ton of money into this year. I, I think we're going to see the big three, Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, compete because they're the ones that could tangibly go after a constructor's or driver's title. I think for the rest of the team, this year is very much a formality. And 2021 is where we should see a complete reset of the competitive balance in the sport. Um Prior to Australia, we're going to see two sessions of winter testing in Barcelona from February 19th to 21st. The teams will break out their cars. Interestingly, it will be broadcast this year. All of the winter testing will be broadcast, which is kind of cool. Um, it's typically during weekdays, so it's a little bit harder for people to watch, especially if you're on this side of the Atlantic. Not me. I'm, I'm off those days. <laughs> Are you seriously? Yeah. Oh my! How do you know that? Well, because it's my birthday week. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we need to break that down. <laughs> We need to break down how you're abusing and defrauding Denny's with your two weeks of birthday lunches. Um, and then pre winter testing picks up again the following week from February 26th to 28th. So that's really the opportunity for the teams to shake down their new cars, uh, test different kits, test different aero bits, uh, get an understanding of what the car is going to be like, and give the drivers the opportunity to familiarize themselves with the cars before the first competitive race weekend in March. That's all I got. That's all I got. All right. Let's bounce out of here. Peace. Peace. everyone for joining us you have been a great audience this is sarah signing off at flash f1 with gil and mark